0: Well, hello everyone. I know it's a little hot, but uh, what a joy to see everyone here and everyone faces. I hope that you can take uh, this time uh, just to reflect on how thankful we should be. I know that's hard to say in the midst of all that's going on, but that we have this place here uh, in this patio. Uh, Whoever thought that we would use this place for worship, but we would have this, and we would be able to come here and meet together um, whether And you can also see it at home So let's just have a thankful heart uh, As we approach God uh, Today If you guys can do me a quick favor uh, You know, don't You don't have to stand up But just kind of turn your head And just kind of say hi to people that are around you uh, Maybe you haven't seen them for about You know, a few months So just say hi And uh, those who are joining us online Please say hi um, You know, online And uh, just engage uh, with us That are here uh, today Well, this uh, is our first uh, outdoor service, and I'm sure we'll have more of these, but uh, in my old church, the church that I used to go to, um, uh, it's a current American church, and every year we would have this outdoor service, so we would all go to a park, uh, and uh, maybe not the entire church, but maybe the three-fourths, about half the church would go and have worship there and just have fellowship. Um, And one particular church that I went to, you know, the congregation was about a little over 1,000 people. So about 500-plus people uh, went out to the park with the kids, and we, we filled this one little huge uh, area in the park. And we, had, we tried to have worship, and back in those days, we didn't have the technology like this, so we had a bullhorn, and, and the pastor was just kind of speaking, uh, yelling out loud. And, 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 you know, everyone just enjoyed it. But the, but the, big, but the big thing uh, on that day was the food because everyone went all out. Uh, every cell group, every group that met there um, all brought food, uh, you know, Korean food. And, and the highlight was, was the kaibe, the, the Korean uh, ribs, that every single uh, cell group was cooking. And just imagine like, like, like 30, 40, maybe even 50 cell groups and just meet the smell of the kaibe going all at once and smelling it. And to be honest, That's what I remember. You know, sometimes we remember things because you see things, but sometimes memories come back because we smell things. And and that outdoor service, the main thing, it seems like for everyone was the food, was the Kyrie that was in front of us and the smell that it created and the smoke and everything. Um, And I fear sometimes that when we read a passage like this, that that's what we would focus on. That we would focus on the food that was provided rather than beyond the food. And I hope and pray that as we go through this passage, that we'll be reminded that it's not just the food that this miracle was all about, but it's to describe the one who provided the food. Because Jesus had an outdoor service, just like us, just a little more people. Um, It's, you know, they say about 5,000 in the passage, but it seems like there were um, much more than that, Uh, maybe even to 12,000 if you include the women and children. And so he had this big, huge outdoor service, just like us. So I think it's appropriate um, that we read this passage. So if you can uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read from 30 to 44. Matthew chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass, So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and and gave them to the disciples to set them before the people. And he divided the two fish among them, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you for for this passage, this story. Lord, as we come to it, may we see you in the story. May you be the center of what we talk about today. May you receive the glory from this passage, Lord. Lord, you are the miracle worker. You are the one who provides. And Lord, provide for us today. Use my inadequacies, Lord, and make them your strength, Lord. As we go into this passage, we thank you, Lord. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just a little background. Um, so this miracle uh, is a, it's an important miracle in the um, in all four gospels because it's the only miracle that's actually listed in all the gospels, except for the resurrection. Obviously, that's listed in all the gospels. But the gospel writers felt important enough to include this story, and every single uh, writer, those four people uh, mark being uh, peter's um, so Peter uh, John Matthew, and Luke, all four of them said, this is important enough that we need to include this because this says something great about Jesus. this was the greatest um, in terms of the number of people, the eyewitnesses that saw it, some people saw the healing, some people saw even Jesus raised people from the dead, but not like 5,000 people or 12,000 people, if you include the women and children, that they saw there was no denying that he did create this miracle. And so the gospels, gospel writers felt it important enough, maybe it reached their heart to include this in the story. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take the three uh, characters our, or, or the group. We're gonna look at the people that were gathered there. We're gonna look at the disciples, and then we're gonna look at Jesus uh, and see their perspective uh, on this particular story. But just a little background. The um, so right now at this moment, before the feeding of the five thousand, the disciples, whom it's called the apostles. This is the first time they're called the apostles in this passage. Uh, it's coming from right after they went out on a short-term mission trip. They were, um, uh, they were sent out by Christ. This is the first time they were sent out on their own without Jesus. They were sent out and said, go and proclaim the kingdom of God to the nearby towns. And so the disciples went out, commissioned by Jesus, and they proclaimed, they healed, and they did uh, great things Now they're coming back to this place, and it says here in verse 30, 30, it said the apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they have done and taught. This was an exciting time for the disciples. They've done all this ministry work. Now they're ready to go and tell Jesus all about it. And so what Jesus was, okay, then let's let's get away from this crowd, and let's meet, and let's discuss what you did. Tell me. How, what, what are the things that that happened? So he wanted to take his disciples in a, in a quiet place and rest and have them reflect and, and everything. But as they did that, people not getting enough of Jesus saw that they were on a boat going to a particular dock in this Beside, uh, near the city of Besidea, And so, okay, hey, let's go. We're not done with Jesus yet. So all of these people ran or, or walked and, and by, around the lake um, and they all got there. Even before Jesus and his disciples were uh, ready to dock and, and meet by themselves. So these people were hungry to hear what Jesus had to say. Who are these people that met? Who are these people that, that took the whole day and, and met Jesus? They, 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 and it wasn't like, you know, Jesus is gonna be there, so come. No, they looked at where's where Jesus gonna be? I'm gonna be there. So who are these people? You know, we don't really know. It just says people or crowd gather there. But we can assume that there was probably a mix of people. There were probably people there that were probably genuine believers now of Jesus who seen his miracles, who seen his has seen the words, and it touched them. So they were there to hear more. But I'm sure there were also what we call miracle chasers. Those people who see, you know, see a miracle and they just want to be part of it. Or maybe they need some miracle to, something happen. there. Maybe they need some healing. But they weren't really interested in Jesus per se, but in the fact that he can create miracles. Maybe it was some of them. Maybe a few of them were people that opposed Jesus and was trying to listen to him to see what he can do to trap him, like some of the Pharisees would, would be doing. Or maybe it was just people that were curious. Just a mix of people. But I think what we can assume is that the people that met there all went there because, because in their hearts, whatever they had wasn't enough. They went to go there. Probably the question was, can Jesus fill the needs in my life? Because probably, because why would you go to a place with 5,000 people? here, just one man. Unless you felt like this person can he provide something that's missing in my heart? And many, some of you, many of you may be sitting here saying the same thing, that you come to church maybe because you're not satisfied with everything that you have, that maybe Jesus can fill something that is empty in your heart. And it's always a battle that we face. Some of it may be because you might have lost something, Maybe someone or something that you've lost that was maybe precious to you. And there's an emptiness in your heart because you're longing for that thing or person to be back in your life. And you're asking Jesus, can you fill that void in my heart? Maybe some of you are dealing with something you have. That a lot of things that you have, those things are giving you the satisfaction. Those things are giving you the joy. And then you're thinking, wait, hold on. But ultimately, Jesus is the one. If you're a believer, Jesus is the one that should give me the ultimate joy. But these other things are giving me better joy, more satisfaction than Jesus. And so you're, you're fought in a conflict. Jesus, can you actually give me the joy that these things give me? Because I know that's right. But yet in reality, The things that I have are giving me more joy and satisfaction. Can Jesus take place of those things? Or maybe some of you are saying, can Jesus give me the things that I don't have? Things that I wish I had, that I see other people have. And you become jealous of them. And you come to Jesus, Jesus, can you fill that need in my heart? That's one common denominator for those people there and maybe the people in this room, that we ask ourselves, can Jesus fill our needs? And I think that's the question that I think this passage uh, is trying to answer. And it's the background of of the feeding of the 5,000 the miracle. But the, the ultimate question is, this Jesus, who is he? And can he be the one to fill all my needs. And so this is the battle that probably these people, and maybe you're going through right now. And as you talk about Jesus, my third point, maybe you can see, maybe you can answer that question. But before we go to that, let's go to the disciples, the other group that was here. Remember, as I mentioned, these group of disciples were excited. They just are coming back from a short-term mission trip where they've seen God do miraculous things. And now they're coming back. It's almost like a debriefing meeting where they come back and discuss all the great things that God is doing and then praise Him. And I know some of you here, uh, you've been on a short-term mission trip and you get on a high, but when you come back, you're a little until what? You go back and meet your team and you go reflect back on what God did. Then that excitement comes back. And I think this is what was happening here. Disciples are coming back from the short-term mission trip. They're coming to meet Jesus, and they want Jesus now to minister to them. They've been doing ministry all, you know, throughout uh, as they went out to their nearby towns proclaiming the kingdom of God. They've done all the work. Now they're coming to meet Jesus. And Jesus, minister to me. I want to tell you something. Tell me that we did something good. And I think that's what the disciples are right now. They're tired. And Jesus sees that because Jesus said, let me take you to a desolate place by ourselves so that you can rest. But then things change because as they were planning this, they see the crowd. And Jesus' reaction to the crowd is this says, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. He sees them, and he sees them not only as just people, but sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And, and as he sees them, that prompts him to say, I need to be the shepherd to these people. And he starts teaching them. And, and the disciples don't really say anything. They're saying, wait, hold on. We're the ones that need right now. We've done our work in terms of ministry. We need some you time, you, you and me time, me and Jesus time. This is what we need right now. But they're quiet. And they're, but they're probably murmuring to themselves, man, this is, this is not right. <laughs> you know, we need to be ministered to also and so they I, I don't know if it's true but they might have come up with a scheme that's, wait it's getting late and it's not like they, Jesus only preached like an hour <laughs> you know right like we were worshipping an hour and they probably hours because he became late so he's been preaching to them again you know for a long time disciples are waiting and waiting for Jesus to finish so he can be with them so he goes wait it's getting late people are hungry we're hungry so let's, let's say to Jesus hey Jesus people need to eat but there's no way we can provide for them, so send them away. This is what they say in verse 36. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And they thought this would do it. That they would send the people out to, uh, to the town so they can eat, and then Jesus and the disciples could once again meet with them. Seems like a perfect plan, right? They've had enough teaching the crowd, but Jesus says no. He says, you feed them. He says in verse uh, 37, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. You provide for them. Now, remember, the disciples are, they've done all this already. They've done, they've preached, they did all that work. Now it's their time. No more ministry. But Jesus ministered to us. But Jesus is saying, go and minister again. Go feed them. And they basically was almost sarcastic to Jesus. It's going to take a year's wage for us to feed these people. What do you want us to do? It's almost sarcastic in the way they responded. Because they had two excuses. One was, it's not the right time for ministry. We need to be ministered to. We need to rest. We just did ministry for a long time. Now we're back. It's not the right time. But many of us who minister to people, and it's not official ministry, but, you know, just even with family or just friends, you're ministering, counseling them, you're, you're, you're helping them out. And you know this, that ministry always doesn't just happen during the planned time of ministry. It happens when you meet a friend that you haven't seen in a while, an opportunity to minister. It happens when you get a phone call in the middle of the night, you're tired, you want to sleep, but you need to minister. Ministry happens, not in official times, but happens when there is a need. And I think that's what we need to learn from this. Their second excuse was, it's impossible. How are we going to feed? We don't have the resources. We don't have the money to do ministry to feed them. You know, at least they could have said, God, we don't, how are we going to do this? Can you tell us? but they don't even do that. They were only looking at their inability to accomplish the task rather than the need in front of them. We can't do this on our own. And I think that's the point. That was the intention of Jesus. Jesus knew that they couldn't feed the 5,000. But still, he says, go and feed them. Jesus' intention was for them to realize by themselves, it was impossible. How many of us think that ministry is easy? Or maybe it's hard, but it's doable. I have the gifts. I've, I've got the training. I can do ministry. Jesus here is saying is ministry is impossible. Ministry that changes people's hearts. That's impossible for us to do. But I think that's the mentality that we need to come before. When when you're counseling someone, you're ministering to them, do you really think that it's because of your words that their hearts were changed? Maybe you can do behavior change, but their heart? No, it's God that does the changing. For us who go out and witness to non-believers, do you really think it's because of our words, our skill, our talents, that people's hearts are changed, that hearts that were dead now is made alive? Do you think me standing up here, no matter how good or bad I am, that I can change your heart? No. Ministry is impossible in the way Jesus looks at it because he is the one that needs to provide. You know, um, Robert Morrison, who is a um, who was a Chinese missionary in the late 1800s. He was one of the first ones to go, and he made a great impact in China. Um, at the very beginning of his ministry, he w- well, he was commissioned to go. So he he basically stole it—not a stole away, but he went on a boat. But the boat wasn't a missionary boat; it was just a boat that would go to China. Uh, So a lot of unbelievers. So when the owner of the boat found out that uh, Mr. uh, Morrison was going to go and and preach the gospel in China, uh, he was a little skeptical. And this is what he asked Mr. Morrison. He said, and so, Mr. Morrison, he said, do you really expect that you will make an impression on the idolatry of the great Chinese empire? Morrison answered, no, sir. But then he said, I expect God will. He said, no, sir, I cannot do it. I cannot change the people, but I expect that God will. And that's kind of the, the picture of what Christian ministry is all about. We see a need, because the disciples saw the need of the, of the hungry. He, you see a need, and then with your inadequacies, with, your, with the gifts that God has given you, you do your best. And then God takes that and by His supernatural grace, changes the people, and He receives the gl- glory see for, for him for, for the tr- the truth is that our weaknesses or our limitations are our weaknesses but that's God's strength His strength is made perfect in our weakness that's what second Corinthians tells us you know I was at a, a retreat a while back um, in, in youth ministry, when I was in youth ministry, and I was invited a few times to go and speak, and there was this one church that I went to. I, I prepped, and, and this was uh, more of my arrogant side back then when I was younger. So I thought, I thought it was good enough to be invited and to speak to youth. I was a couple hundred uh, youth kids uh, there, and so you know I prepared you know, four or five of my sermons. And so I went there, and, and I felt pretty good about myself, about what I prepared. Uh, and the first night went well, but it's that second night. It's one of those out-of-body experience, you know, where, like, you know, it's, you know, it's sinking, it's sinking, it's sinking, and you can't stop it, but you kind of, you're out-of-body, and you see that you're sinking, and you can't do anything about it. That's what kind of happened as I was preaching. As I was preaching, it was from Ephesians chapter 4, and I, I just remember, like, looking at the kids, and they were, like, struggling. I could see their struggle in their eyes and their heads, trying to not fall asleep, or, or trying not to, not to, you know, just give me a, a, you know, a quiet laugh when I make, you know, an illustration or something. And I remember, oh, my goodness, it's, it's, it's sinking. I can't stop it. Then I, the, what, the thing that really hit me was when I saw the, the teachers, the staff in the back, and I could almost hear them. I know they weren't saying it, but I can hear them in their faces saying, God, help that man up there. <laughs> Make him preach a little better. I can see that in their faces. And so I saw that, and, and this is I'm just still speaking. And, like, my words are moving, but nothing was happening. It seems like nothing was happening. So then I just, in the middle, I just stopped. I just stopped and said, you know what, guys? It's horrible. Right now, I'm horrible. (laughs) Um, I feel like I I, I prepared. I thought I was good enough. And I thought these were good points. But I can see in your faces that it's not good right now. So I'm going to stop this. And so what I did was, and I don't recommend other pastors doing this, but I grabbed my manuscript, and I just scrunched up and threw it down. What we're going to do is we're going to open up the, the Bible to the passage. Because I was trying to, you know, connect all these things. And I said, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. And I went verse by verse on that passage. Not much, really much adding my own thing, but I just talked about verse. And this is not the normal way that you should preach. But I felt at that time, I was too confident in myself, too confident in what I prepared. And as I was doing that, it was probably the best sermon in that uh, the whole retreat because I focused on God's Word. He used my weaknesses to make himself glorious. And I think that's what Christian ministry is all about. Us not so much giving our talents but giving our limitations, giving our weakness so that his strength is made perfect. The, the last thing is um, Jesus. The whole book of Mark is about answering this question, who is Jesus? I think at point, this point here, that there is a, a transition going on from Sea of Galilee ministry to further ministry. And, and there was like a break. The disciples were doing their own thing. They came back. So there was a, there was a transition in the ministry. And I I think right here at this moment, Jesus wants to clearly, as best as he can at that moment, to tell the people and us who's reading this story who he is. And there's three things here that I think that that we see and how Jesus is describing himself. First, I think Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is a shepherd who shows compassion and who provides. So Jesus shows compassion. And look at what it says here. He says, when he went ashore and he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. So he had compassion when he saw the great crowd, not because they were hungry. That's important. Why did he have compassion? He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so because they were sheep without a shepherd, he says, I am going to be that shepherd for these people. And what did he do? To become their shepherd, he didn't feed, yeah, he fed them later, but the first thing that he did was he began to teach them many things. And that goes back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Where does he lead them? In green, um, in green gra- grass in, in chapter, uh, verse 39. He shows compassion for them. He provides them abundantly. Says they all ate, were satisfied. Jesus is the shepherd that the Old Testament prophesied. Jesus is the promised one, the Messiah. That's what he was also telling. You. And that's what Mark is, I think, trying to tell us. There are words in here that if you were a, a Jewish um, uh, person at that time as you read it, would, would click to something in the Old Testament. There's a particular, uh, the desolate place. Verse 31, and he said to them, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. Verse 32, and they went away in a boat to a desolate place. Then again, in uh, verse 35, and when it grew late, his disciples came to me and said, this is a desolate place. They would have recognized, people who read it at first, uh, the first century, uh, would have recognized that this desolate place, another word for it is wilderness. And it goes back to Moses and Israelites in the wilderness. And you can see the connection with the manna in the wilderness and with Jesus providing. And it seems like this provision is the same thing. It's coming out of nowhere. It must come from heaven, just like manna did in the wilderness. There's going to be a a rest. It says, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. This is the promised rest that God says. There's going to be a feast. That's the promise of the Messiah. All of these words, all of these things come to prove that Jesus is the promised one, the Messiah, who will provide during the wilderness. So Jesus is not only the shepherd, but he is also the Messiah. That's what Mark wants us to know. And the last thing is that Jesus is the bread of life. It's not written here, but John, I believe, uh, the Apostle John, he has a same version of this passage. And people say that he took most of the material from Mark. There's a lot of similarities. Luke and Matthew have some different things, but John is very similar to to uh, Mark's version, and what he says, he does the miracle in John, then after that miracle, he explains the miracle, and he says, this is the point of the miracle, and that's found in John chapter 6, 51. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh said so this whole point of this miracle, all the people benefited from, from eating, but the whole point that we should glean from, from this passage, the main point is that this bread represents Jesus who is the bread of life. And we are to eat of Him if we are to be satisfied fully. That question that they were, the battle, we are to eat of Him. What does that mean? Well, he explains it. He says, If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He said, I came here to die so I can give this bread to you. He is the bread of life. The communion that we'll take points to that also. You see, What we have to see in this passage, although the miracle is great and we can glean a few things from there, but the main point of this passage and what Mark is trying to tell us is not so much that all our needs will be met by Christ, which I think is true, but who is this person that's gonna meet our needs? Because if we grasp the understanding who he is, then we will truly believe that he will meet all of our needs. You know, I, I, uh, some of you know that I'm a, uh, I I teach. I'm also a teacher, and so I've been teaching the past few weeks, and and so I've been teaching remotely with my students, and so I was on the Zoom, so I'm at home doing it, and so today was, uh, or Friday was the day before Labor Day, so they had a three long, uh, a three day uh, weekend, so I told them, hey, um, you guys have a great weekend. That's how I kind of sign off. Have a great weekend and do something good, okay? So I said that, uh, and remember, I'm at home, so. Uh, my whole family's at home, and, and I hear a voice from the other side in a different room, and it was Ethan, my younger son. He says, Dad, oh, you gotta do better. Go, what? What, what do you mean, I gotta do better? Uh, he heard that I said, go and do something good. He goes, you gotta do better than that. That's not an encouragement. <laughs> you know, uh, do, say something a little better to encourage the kids, right? And I just you know, laughed it off, and, and, and so on, but I think, if I left you here, if I ended the sermon and says, Jesus will meet all your needs, I haven't done enough. i got to do better than that. Because if you just believe that Jesus will meet all your needs and that's how you leave, Jesus just becomes useful to you. That Jesus will fill all the needs that you have in your life then you see Jesus as one who could just fill their need and he becomes just useful. John Piper, and I love the way John Piper um, says this. He says that he did not come to be useful, but to be precious. If I just told you that Jesus can fill all your needs, whether right or wrong, and you left this room thinking, okay, Jesus, go ahead and fill my needs. I haven't done my job. But if you leave here thinking, wow, Jesus is so precious because of what he's done. Then I've done my job because I pointed you to him. You know, that's the reason why he came. He came to change your desire in your heart so that all the desires in your heart will be secondary to the desire that you have for him and him only not because he can give you things but because he is so precious to you he is that bread of life that, that, that he died for you to give you the eternal life and all your response is not give me more Jesus meet my needs but your response should be thank you you are so precious to me you know, um, at the end of John chapter 6, uh, as he was explaining the, 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 the bread of life, all these people that looked at that, that crowd said, this teaching is too hard, and they all went away. Then he asked his disciples, so are you going to go away too? And this is Peter's um, glorious moment. He said this, Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Peter got it. Do we get it? Are we going to go away? Where are we going to go? He has a word of life, and he can give that to you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you for just this passage, Lord. Yes, it has a miracle that we can learn things from. We can learn about your provision, you being our shepherd, the promised one. But Lord, if that doesn't lead us to say that you are precious to us, then we have missed out on what the story is all about. Lord, I pray that we would walk out of this room not so much saying that Jesus will meet all of our needs, which is true, but more than that, Lord, that you are precious, you are our Savior, you have the words of life, and all we need to do is to cling to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, pray in the name of Jesus, amen.